Welcome to the Iron Breed Podcast. This is Austin, and here with me again today is Gerard. What's going on, people? So today we're rolling out episode number two, and uh, we're stepping a little, stepping away from what we were talking about last time. And we're going to take some questions. We actually got some really good questions and topics to cover from some other people um, that messaged me on Instagram. So if you ever have any topics, ever have any questions, something that you want to hear us talk about, please direct those to either Iron Breed's Instagram profile or my DMs. So um, so today what we're going to talk about, and I thought this was actually a really good and a really interesting question uh, because now I love science. You know, Gerard and I, we're both science people. We're both certified strength and conditioning coaches. And, you know, we both worked with Division One athletes. I mean, I've worked, you know, with a ton of different athletes, uh, ton of different people honestly doing strength and nutrition coaching for for so many people leading to you know good results not to like pump my own you know results here but you know i i definitely have a lot of good things to say on a lot about a lot of the science stuff here but the question was they would like to hear about the different training styles that we've done and some of the fallbacks that we've encountered with each one of those as well as the results that we got and the diets that we used while doing those. And now we're going to split that up into two separate podcasts because we're going to make one of them a training specific. So this one's going to be about training. And the next one is going to be about like diets. But so instead of like coming in here, reading all of our research articles to you, uh, I think there's a place and there's definitely a time for that. I think you need to have a solid understanding in science. I mean, I think Gerard would would agree with that, that you need to always have some sort of like basis for what you're doing. Uh, but also experience is really important too. Uh, I think the, you know, you live in the best of both worlds is like the kind of the best place to be where you have, okay, well, this is what I've learned. This is what we've proven to be effective and great. And then also mashing that with, all right, but this is what I've seen work because if you do something and it works, can you objectively say that it did not work, even though the science said it doesn't? I, I mean, you know, that, that by itself is a whole, is a, is a whole debate. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I find that really interesting because my like thoughts on this topic have changed a lot over the years since I've started training. Uh, I used to have like one thought process and I was like, yeah, this is it. And then I started doing something else. I was like, oh no, this is it. And then I do something else and I'm like, oh man, well now this is it. So yeah, this, this should be a good one. So, Gerard, let's hear it. Oh, man. I, I kind of had something similar, too, when I started out. And, you know, considering I, a big part of my initial education into training was from meeting Austin. I think. Uh, oh, yeah, that's probably. true. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? yeah I, forgot, I forgot. So it might be a little similar to mine. Whoops. Right. Well, one thing that was interesting is um, it definitely seemed I was a lot more surrounded along the lines of linear periodization programming for powerlifting. That was the goal. Getting stronger was the mission. Uh, And so a lot of the training was set up around those percentages based off of a one rep max and set and repetition variations. One thing that actually did happen as a – 
uh, Austin graduated and I kind of got further into my own coaching was uh, I started trying out the old school high intensity training. So not to be confused with high intensity interval. This is a style of training that Dorian Yates uh, was well known for, made popular, where you have steps leading up to then your all-out set. So kind of similar to as many reps as possible. You have a both a controlled negative eccentric motion in the lift and then a real hard uh, concentric, so positive. And you do it to an all-out failure. And then if you're able to, with either a partner or assistance via a machine, you progress the failure even further. Because what a lot of people who may not know, you're always going to fail that positive, that concentric first before you fail that eccentric. So even when, oh, I cannot lift it anymore, you might be able to load or lower it for more reps. So get more additional tissue damage. So that was a style of training I got into. And I think I really did. Like when I first learned about it, I was like, oh, this this is the way. This is This is the one true style. It has to be right. And I think... That right there shows some of the the young naiveness towards it. Whereas there is no one true style of training. There is no one uh, one size fits all. It really is based upon the individual and their goals. And so, as we get a little further into this, uh, that's something you should be mindful of: is what are your current goals? What are you training for? And how are you setting up both your nutrition and recovery around those goals? Because those ultimately are going to play a huge factor in it. But for today, training styles. And so, Austin, uh, let them know what you've uh, kind of found out with what you've been doing. Well, so, you know, it's actually really interesting when you brought that up. You know, you mentioned how you originally learned things from me. And then when you, you know, when I graduated Lockhaven, you ended up trying out some new stuff. And I think there's something to be said. So, you know, when I was at Lockhaven, I interned at Penn State. And when I was interning at Penn State, I worked under four different strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, occasionally, there would be some other ones. So maybe it would be like closer to six, but I didn't work with them as frequently. But each one of them have a, would have a different training style and different way that they would program everything, different way that they would they would do stuff. So like, you know, you're just exposed to so much stuff. And, you know, I'm one of those people where I like to try all of these new things, you know, see what I like, see what sticks and then just add that and keep moving with what I think works and what's been working for me and doing that. And, you know, I think it becomes really interesting because I then went on the intern at university of Buffalo, which then Gerard ended up interning there. Uh, what, like two years later. Yes, sir. About that is there were two different head strength and conditioning coaches there at the time and almost completely different staffs. So my experience and all the techniques and, you know, different styles of training that I experienced were not the same when he was there. We, we, we both interned at the same place, even worked with some, some of the same players, uh, but had two completely different experiences because the, the type of people, and that's just, you know, it goes to show you how different things can vary, you know, when you go from not even just place to place, but with person to person, you know, everybody's going to have a different experience for what they seem to think works for them. Cause all that we're collectively ever doing is just taking our experiences of what we've tried out, what we like, we're sticking with that. And then, you know, it, most people try new things and then they're like, Oh, I thought I like that. And they add it to their new regimen. So until like you start building your own little like training style. So everybody's going to have their own unique training style. That's specific to them based on things that they've tried and done that have worked 
for them and, you know, figuring out what's worked for them, what doesn't work for them, et cetera. So I think that's what makes it really unique. So I think, you know, me, my story on how I've ended up doing that. I mean, that's what I do with everything like supplements, dieting, you know, training. That's how I like, that's how I've learned so much, you know, by reading about it, but then actually doing it and then applying, okay, well that worked or it didn't work. And let me apply that to my training. So, you know, I started out lifting. I didn't really lift a whole lot in high school. We had like some weightlifting programs, but not really a whole lot. And we really didn't do a lot. I think honestly, like when I was playing football in high school, this is going to sound so crazy, but it's true. Our lifting program was literally go to the local gym and sign a piece of paper saying you're there. (laughs) That was the same for me. How do you build a successful program with that? Like, how do you build a winning culture, successful program? Now that's a whole different topic, but you know, so there's not a whole lot of guidance on that aspect. So you're just kind of going in there and you're figuring it out on your own. So I never really knew like what I was doing. Right. So I just started figuring it out. I go into the gym and I just lift random stuff. I mean, I remember the first time I was trying to ever deadlift 500 pounds, I was making a big deal out of it on Instagram and like hashtag road to 500. And you know, my technique wasn't good. I, I wasn't doing a whole lot of different stuff, but I, it's really funny because the way that I trained then is still actually like after everything I've learned is still kind of the similar mindset that I have now. So how I trained then is I would go into the gym as a 18, 19 year old that didn't really know anything. And I would do, I would have one main movement. So it would be either bench squat or deadlift, which ultimately, I guess that meant I was supposed to be a power lifter. So I fulfilled the prophecy, right? Uh, I would pick that one main movement and I would do something relatively heavy with that. And then I would move on to like a secondary assisting movement. So if I was benching, I would maybe do like incline bench or I would do like close grip bench, maybe even some like dumbbell work. And I would do like a moderate rep range, like anywhere to six to 10. And I would do a pretty decent amount of weight. And then I would move on to like a lesser, so like a dumbbell fly or some sort of like push up. Um, if we're just talking chest here, and I would do anywhere from like 10 to 15, you know, and I would do at least like three to four sets of each of these things. And I would always kind of structure it the same way where it's like you're coming in, you're hitting a couple of like really heavy things, then you're like backing off, you're doing some like lighter, but still relatively heavy assistance work. And then you're like just backing it off even further and getting a pump. And now granted, there were a lot of newbie gains that went into like getting strong during that time frame as well. Uh, but that really seemed to work a lot for me. And I got really strong really fast. And I got like, you know, I'd started to like blow up a little bit uh, for somebody that hadn't really ever been lifting too much before. So then eventually, you know, I get to school and uh, how I ended up getting into powerlifting is somebody just came up to me and was like, hey, you're kind of strong. <laughs> and uh, you're kind of strong. Do you want to do a powerlifting meet? And I'm like, oh, sure. Like, when is it? And they're like, in like three weeks. I was like, well, what do I do? And they're like, you just lift as heavy as you can. And I'm like, okay, seems legit, <laughs> right? So I'll do it. I'm like, sure, I'll sign up for this. So I signed up for it. I, I ended up doing pretty well. I think I won my weight class or whatever. And I was like, all right that's fun. And now, now I'm all hype up on powerlifting because I think that's the greatest thing in the world. And so then I end up going, you know, I start reading more because it was roughly around that time 
right before that, instead of gaining the freshman 15, I gained the freshman 25. And that's what turned yeah. me in. Like you, you laugh, but like, that's what got me into fitness so much, you know, like that for me was that forced me to learn more about fitness, nutrition, and like supplements. Like that was the first time I ever like used a supplement. Like it was a fat burner that had DMAA in it. And I would sit in my like 8am anatomy lecture, like cracked out because I'm like, what is this? Like, you know, I had no idea what was going on and it made me like want to research all of these things. And that's how I ended up getting into supplements and like wanting to learn about all that and wanting to even make my own because one fat burner that I took freshman year of college because I gained too much weight because all you can eat buffets are a horrible idea if you have poor self-control. So, you know, it's just one of those things though, that over time, I, as I get more interested in it, I start reading on it. So, you know, at the time, Dan Green is like the biggest name in powerlifting. And, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't obsessed with Dan Green. And roughly about that time, Brandon Lilly had made, he was, he was doing the cube method. This was prior to Brandon Lilly's big knee injury. Um, if anybody is familiar with that, that was a while ago. So uh, you may not be anymore at this point. But he, there was this program that he made called the Cube Kingpin. And I remember buying this program. And I started running these and started running more like powerlifting specific programming. And the one thing that I noticed was I was always getting hurt. Ooh, interesting. Always, 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 always getting hurt. It was having me like bench, like, I think the cube kingpin only had you bench like once a week, but like all these other like powerlifting programs would have me benching like twice a week. And, you know, I have this like crazy shoulder tendonitis that just hates that. And it would just get so like, I would get strong and then I would get hurt. And then I would have to spend, I mean, honestly, Gerard, for the last like three years, uh, or about in the last like two years of my college, did I not spend like half of that time in undergrad being hurt? Uh, just about every time. And it was, you know, <laughs> fun. just to go into that a little more. The reason I smiled and uh, laughed is because uh, you talk about um, the freshman 15. I almost did the uh, freshman 50 myself. And I <laughs> I came in at a hundred and uh 150-ish pounds, and so I was a little bit into sophomore year. I was creeping up on a, not a great 200, but it was it was big. It was it was strong, and then it kind of fluctuated from there. But um, yeah, to go further on that powerlifting aspect, and uh, that was the same thing for me. Like uh, it started off as I'm coming off this back injury from wrestling in high school. I have no real clue how to work out. I get to college. I know I want to do this more. I know I want to train a little. And so it just starts off with Tuesday, Thursday, chest and arms, you know, you know, wearing long sleeves in the gym because, uh, you know, you're self-conscious about what others are thinking of you. And then slowly it became short sleeve and things started developing and growing. We talk about those newbie gains that you're going to see rapid amounts of progression as you begin to just start weight training. And then things will slowly kind of not come to a halt because you are always working towards moving them a little further, but you're not going to see, uh, uh, 
Sorry, I got a phone call. Crap. Sorry, Austin. Oh, you're good. No, what he's what he's trying to say is that you're you know these newbie gains that we're talking about. It starts out as neuromuscular adaptations. So your body, you know, like everything, it's a neural pathway. So like every time I go to eat, right, that's a neural pathway of my body using the fork to put food in my mouth. So same deal when you're lifting. Like if I'm going to do a bench press and I've never really been bench pressing it's going to feel really weird and it's going to feel really awkward. So within like three, four weeks of doing it, you're going to notice you're getting really good at it and the weights are going to go up and you're like getting pretty strong. It's not that you're necessarily like getting strong. You're just getting more efficient with the movement. So obviously though, that comes to an end at some point. Now, granted, there's all sorts of different ways that you can keep like improving your technique to make your movement as efficient as possible. I mean, that doesn't happen overnight. That takes a lot of time, but eventually you get to that point where you're able to do that though. Um, you know, so then after that though, your body is, you're still getting newbie gains because now your muscles are getting a stimulus that they've never received before. So they're going to start adapting faster to meet the demands of what's going on in the body with you lifting all these weights. So like your first like three, four months, some people it goes even longer. Some people you're not so lucky and it doesn't go so long. Sorry. But like for some people it goes a pretty long time and you're able to get a pretty good amount of gains out of all of that. And you know, so you got to take advantage of that if you can, but it's really just the way that your body starts acclimating to, you know, lifting. So when you stop, so obviously at some point that's going to slow down because your body is now acclimated to lifting. So that's when you really kind of have to actually start looking at changing the way that you're lifting, changing the stimulus, you know, maybe changing the different movements because you need to keep providing a stimulus, a stimulus for growth. So you always need to have something that's going to be greater than that's going to force your muscles to make the change because they won't make that change if they're not being forced to change. So that's where he was trying to go with that. Yeah, man. As you see, Austin can go deep into it, man. And, and you should listen. You should learn because he's truly taken the time to really just become a master of this craft. And, and as you see, he's learned it and then he's applied it. And so what's interesting is as he mentions that that's, what happened to, to me, I spent five weeks of just form training where I could barely pull 315 on deadlift and everyone has that, oh, I want I want four plates and I want to, you know, always add a wheel onto my, you know, main lift, whether it's bench, squat, or deads. And so 405 at the time was my goal, you know, freshman year. So you go through these five weeks of form training, not really much load being lifted, then switch into a, you know, a max update, just trying it out. And sure enough, 405 came off the ground. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't great. And, you know, needed some more work. But uh, just from that adaptation, it, it, it was just from doing the movement more, what Austin talks about, those neuromuscular links. But also doing the movement right. So, yes. you know, not only was he spending a lot of time on improve, you know, doing the movement to get better at the movement, he was executing the movement correctly. So obviously like most lifting is going to be, it's an efficiency thing. It's like, it's sometimes it's about how strong you are, but like in the case of like sumo def deadlift, it's like how efficient your leverages are and how efficient of a movement you can make it. So if you can make it a super efficient movement because you're doing it correctly, it's going to go, your strength is going to, you don't even almost even need to be that strong to pull a lot of weight. Because biomechanically, you're just so efficient that you're just going to rip weight off the ground because of those leverages, because of physics. So, but then obviously, the stronger you are, 
with good leverage and all of that, you can lift even more. So there's a point for everything. Exactly. And so after that process is when I noticed we started getting some more traditional linear periodization and get back to what we're talking about. Boom. Injuries started occurring. I remember the entire freshman year and going into sophomore, I would always have terrible elbow tendonitis. And I got to the point where I couldn't even lower uh, a barbell down on the down portion of a bench press. I, it would just drop to my chest. And then I could sometimes muscle it up. But it was this reoccurring process of dealing with like nagging injuries. And, you know, there, there will be those guys who say, oh, you just you got to train through it. You just got to tough it out. When what we really realized uh, – it came down to what we were doing in training, but also what we were doing outside of training. And, and what we were not doing. Yeah. Uh, like that's, I, that's like I didn't do any mobility, prehab, like real warm up. Like, unfortunately, I was one of those dumb people that just walked into the gym, like started lifting. Like, you know, I would, that was it. And, you know, it's, if, you, if that's what you do now, uh, enjoy it while it lasts because that's not going to work forever, right? Uh, you definitely need to implement some sort of warm-up, some sort of prehab, some sort of mobility. There's always something that you can do to do a little bit better. That's going to go a long way in saving yourself from, from injuries, injuries because, frankly, like, here's the deal. Like, when you're injured, you can't train. So when you can't train, you can't get better. And that – you know, so I mean, we're going to spend a, a whole other website or no, a whole other episode talking about specifically like prehab and injuries and training around injuries. So that's going to be coming in in a few weeks. But, but really, no, exactly. You know, it's just there were a lot of things that we weren't doing correctly. You know, I think everybody just jumps into this powerlifting. And I know me, like I was super ambitious about wanting to be really strong, you know, really quick. Like it just doesn't happen like that. So not to demonize like, you know, that's my prefacing everything. Like, yeah, I got hurt a lot, but I also wasn't doing the right stuff uh, that I needed to be doing. So that's why it's really important. And also my nutrition was awful. Absolutely awful. I mean, oof, you want to talk about inflammation? I mean, yeah. Wow. I mean, I would eat pop tarts all the time. Now, don't wrong, I love pop tarts. I still do love pop tarts, but I realized that I can't be eating like that a lot. And uh, we'll talk about that. Our next episode is going to be nutrition based, but we'll talk a little bit about diet on this one too, uh, because that's ultimately really important. So eventually what happened is I spent so much time being injured that I had to keep working around everything. And, you know, so I would go to different, like I would go to Penn state, I would go to Buffalo, you know, I would learn more about Olympic lifting. I would be learning more about like sports specific stuff. Like, okay, today I'm going to be working with the baseball team. We should never, do like barbell bench press with them because obviously their shoulders are super important. And like, if we're doing any sort of pressing, it's probably like palms in dumbbell stuff or like SSB. If they're a pitcher, you know, if they're like a fielder, like they don't need to have, you, they could do like a regular back squat, but if they're a pitcher, you want to save their shoulders. So you're going to use an SSB safety squat bar for those who aren't familiar. And, you know, so you learn about all these like different things and like realizing, okay, there's all these different ways you can implement things. Um, like for example, I've never really trained conjugate. I've never really had a desire to train conjugate. If we're being completely honest, I mean, I, I know some people that have like, like I've done like conjugate movements, but I've never actually done like a full out, like conjugate training program. 
And, you know, so I have a pretty undecided opinion on it because I've never done it. So I can't really give you an official opinion. You know, I've seen some people, I, if, if you're a geared lifter, right, like you're lifting in suits and stuff, for sure, conjugate's the way to go. I mean, that's what it was made for. I think like the confusion of where like conjugate fits in with the raw lifting spectrum is where things like really get interesting because it's like, ah, this isn't like really what it was made for, you know? So I would see like, I see some people that are raw lifters that train conjugate and they get really strong that way. And like, cause everybody's different, you know, so everybody's going to respond a little differently to some things than they are. So like, maybe you respond really well to conjugate, but like, you know, your homie over there on the bench, like struggling to bench 225, like he might not respond well to conjugate. Like maybe he need, just needs more volume. Like everybody's going to be a little different. So like, you know, for just as many people that I see do really well on like conjugate raw training, I see just as many people doing that and then like not getting anywhere. So you know, I, I'm, I really don't have any input on conjugate. I think it's great for some people and for some people it's not great, but you know, there's really the only way to really ever find that out is to try it yourself. And if you're going to do that though, actually like read about conjugate, like there's so much misinformation on what it actually is as a training. So like, you know, you could easily like Google it, but like actually take the time to read something, you know, from like Louie or like the West side guys, if you're actually going to do conjugate. Cause there's a lot of like kind of the conjugate kind of not stuff floating around out there. So if you want to do it, you know, make sure that you're actually like reading from the source to go do it. Exactly. And you, you can take that same approach with just everything. It goes back to that, that statement of no, you know, not one, not one size fits all. There is, you know, there is no one true training program, which I think a lot of times people get misconstrued. Uh, misconstrued and confused about because it's like, oh, how many reps should I be doing? What's the uh, how many sets? What's the perfect amount? And what it really is, it's always a constant growing process of what you're trying to do and what your body adapts to. Because that's all we're ever doing. We're giving it a stimulus and we're getting an adaptation. And then from that adaptation, you know, we're trying to recover. We're trying to continually feed so we can just, you know, replenish ourselves. But it really breaks down to, you know, try it. Like, go out there and try it. Delve into the research and then actually put it into application and recognize the things that you are not doing still. So we've, we've gone over a little bit of what we have done and uh, for those of you who want to know more, go ahead and reach out on the Iron Breed page as well as uh, Austin's Instagram. Here, Austin, give me your Instagram real quick for those that don't have it. Um, it is at the underscore Zechman, Z-E-C-H-M-A-N. All right. Mine is Gerard. That's G-E-R-A-R-D, Latondra, L-E-T-E-N-D-R-E. That's my full name. Every, every, time, yeah, every time I hear, like, I think about your last name, I think Le Tendre. Le Tendre. Yes, yes. Uh, that's the first thing that really runs through my mind. Um, but, so that's why I never put your last name on anything. Because <laughs> I, I, every time I see it, I'm like, Le Tendre. But, <laughs> but, but um, going further from that, I would love to hear some more questions just regarding um, turning styles, but let's kind of break into what we're doing now. Cause I don't know about you, Austin, but right now, Oh man, this is the best training has ever felt. Well, I mean, outside of the band workouts, cause correct. Oh, yeah, outside of the gyms being yeah, close. Um, well, so I think like, this is what's really like, you know, I used to believe 
you know, I used to believe that super specific like training programs and all that were like super necessary. And then I had like a kind of like really life changing injury for me in uh, what 2015. 2015 i was 21 at the time okay it had to had to be i compressed uh compressed some discs in my lower back and uh, i remember i was working oh man yeah how could i forget um i was working on the golf course i would you know my summer job would be working on a country club golf course doing you know the grounds crew stuff it's uh, not a super glorious job by any stretch but they always would hire and one day I was mowing the grass or the mowing the one green and I felt this shooting pain run down my back and into my legs and then the next moment you know I'm on the ground and like it all happened within an instant and like I had no idea what was going on um, I stopped the mower and I'm laying on the ground and from laying on the green I call a chiropractor and be like, hey, uh, I have no idea what's going on, but this just happened. I ended up laying there for like five, ten minutes. It felt like it was forever. Like, And then I eventually get back up. I finished mowing the green. I had an appointment set up for later that day. And uh, so I, I finished mowing and everything. And I'd go throughout the rest of the work day. Because that happened at like 8 a.m. And we started working at like 6. So I go through the rest of this like day. And my back feels awful. And then I go get this, um, you know, x-ray done at the chiropractor and he's showing me my spine and he's showing me like how compressed everything is. And he's like, man, you're like really lucky. Like it could be, you know, if it was any worse, like you definitely have some serious herniations, but like, you're kind of lucky that where the compression is just as, you know, it's in like the right spot. I mean, I don't know if there's ever really like a right spot to do it or like, if you're going to compress your ass, I, I don't really know if there's like a right place to do it. But fortunately for me, it could have been a lot worse and it wasn't. But I was, you know, I was like 21, 22 years old and I was having trouble putting my boots on in the morning to like go to work. And I'm like, yo, like this is a problem. And so I had to complete, obviously that I couldn't do anything training wise. So, so I spent probably six months, uh, doing upright machines, like so upright, like chest back machines you know, upright pull downs, like nothing laying backwards. Everything was upright. You know, I would do dumbbells, like curls, I would do triceps. So I was, you know, I was doing like really basic, like bodybuilder stuff. And that was kind of like for, for the first time I actually, Oh, this was the summer of 2016. It was after I graduated undergrad. Uh, I was also the heaviest I've ever been at that time. I was like 270. And it was not a good looking 270. And that actually led me to hiring Tony Montgomery Jr. to do my nutrition coaching. And now this is my first time ever working with a nutrition coach, but I was just in a spot where I'm like, man, I look and feel like shit and I need to do something about it. And, you know, I also just got out of a relationship. So I'm just like really trying to like make myself look a lot better and all that. So, that, you know, it was a dual purpose thing. And uh, so I ended up starting working with Tony and we really started cleaning up my diet and you know i'm on this like super limited training like upright machines all this other stuff and you know going to the chiropractor doing decompression therapy on my spine and all of a sudden you know i notice i'm getting stronger i'm losing weight you know it, it was crazy and the only thing that changed was my diet like i here i am doing these super basic exercises 
and I'm making all this crazy progress because my diet's on point for like the first time ever. And so then I carry that into, you know, the school year and I end up having a DEXA at Bloomsburg where I end up, you know, doing my master's at. And, and from the time that I started working with Tony for me being 270 to February. So I think that was roughly about like August of 2016 to February, 2017 in that DEXA, I lost 40 some pounds and from the preliminary decks that I did earlier that year in like October, I gained 10 pounds of lean body mass. Now I lost a whole lot of weight and a lot of fat. I lost a whole lot of fat. Like I, I looked like a completely different person. I went from like 270 to like 225 and I ended up coming back stronger. So then my back is fixed and I come back and here I am 50 pounds lighter. And I ended up hitting a 50 pound squat PR to put me like what is a 635 squatter. At the time, I went from like squatting 585 to 635. And the only thing that changed, I hadn't even like trained my legs in months, months. I haven't even like touched, did a single back squat in like seven months. And I come back and I like hit this crazy PR. And the only thing that changed was my diet. And it was at that point that I really started to think like, man, maybe we make all of this like too complicated. And we think too much about it because for me, I started really noticing there's like, if my diet's good, I could almost go in the gym and do whatever I want, like just mess around. And I could make some pretty solid progress out of that. And so I continued on like with doing that. And then as I eventually started moving into like nutrition coaching of other people, you know, one of the things that I would notice is like, I'm not one, if I ever coach anybody, you're not going to get a super crazy training program for me. That's just not how I work. You know, I just don't pump out. Like, I don't think that's the best way to go about it. But what I have noticed though, is like with the clients that I do nutrition and training for when your nutrition's on point and you're following like what I'm telling you to do and like you're eating good. And I know you are cause your check-ins are like fire. The progress in the gym, unreal. Everybody just kills it. So sometimes I think, you know, I think a lot of times, like if you're giving your body the fuel that it needs to recover, to grow, to build, to do the right thing outside of the gym, whatever you do in the gym isn't going to matter. It's all going to be gravy, you know? So even if you are following like a really great, like periodized program or, you know, you're working with like a really great coach. Cause like there's, trust me, there's like some really awesome powerlifting coaches out there that totally kill it. Um, so if you're, if you work with someone like that and you have a really great diet, like you combine those, Oh man, like the possibilities are endless really. So it's just one of those things that it led to me kind of like truly believing that, if your nutrition is good, almost in a way, it doesn't even matter. Now, granted, everybody's going to be different, but I really think like that's how important nutrition and recovery are. And people just don't really pay attention to that at all. Absolutely, man. And that's going to kind of lead us into our next episode, which will be released here soon. I'll give you a quick little rundown because it's, it's funny as Austin talks about this. I, when I was 17 years old, I was uh, wrestling. Uh, it was my sport of choice. I didn't train with weights at all. It was oftentimes very dehydrated, and I weighed about 138 pounds. I took a shot in on my coach, and I felt a pop. And I remember I could not get up. And I, I, I got him, and uh, I was wrapped around his leg. And he said, come on, finish. And I was like, I I can't. He's like, what do you mean you can't? I, like, I can't get up. So I kind of like lied there, walked around, 
And sure enough, at 17 years old, I was a full-blown L5 S1 herniation. And man, that was a doozy. And back then, I didn't know anything about training. I didn't, it didn't, uh, you know, anything about recovery, nutrition, um, so many things, which I think was, has always been this burning fire inside me to learn and to, and to, you know, try and find out more about this process. And so that led to going to college, how I mentioned earlier, getting into just Tuesday, Thursday training. And then luckily being able to meet Austin, kind of delve into powerlifting. Um, and even how I dealt with this past injury with the femoral acetabular impingement. It's a little different type of injury where, you know, it's an excess of bone growth on uh, the top of my femoral head. I, it, it was, it's bound to eventually rub up against that labrum in the hip, which it did. Squatting heavy loads just kind of sped up the process, <laughs> which, you know, to be humble, could have been from a lack of uh, dedication to the nutrition, as well as possibly some squat mechanics. And that's what I noticed also in uh, college. It was not always perfect nutrition and recovery. There were later nights. There was a lot of cookies and pancakes and all types of sweets and goodies around. Um and so I, I noticed that that played a huge impact as well. Just you know, speaking briefly on that, uh, and what it has led to now is quite interesting. At that time in college, when I was arguably at my strongest, like a little over two hundred pounds, fluffy, loaded on carbs and sugars and all types of salts. I weigh about one hundred and fifty-eight pounds right now, and. We'll see when the gym's open, how my numbers are looking. But one thing is uh, that's completely different is just the nutrition, what I put into my body. And man, I, I have not felt better than this ever. And it's also been just the most consistent. So with that being said, if you want to hear more about our training styles, other types of um, you know exercises and programming we've gotten into, we'll delve into those later. But we're going to get into nutrition for you next time. And I also give them that uh, Instagram just one more time so they have it. Uh, you can find us at Iron Breed Performance, which will be uh, in the description of this podcast, I believe. Uh, I don't know. We're still learning how to do this. So, And you can find me at the underscore Zekman on Instagram and Gerard. And- as G-E-R-A-R-D-L-E-T-E-N-D-R-E. That's Gerard Letendra. If you have any questions, please feel free to hit us up. Let us know if you have anything that you want us to talk about. Or, you know, once again, let us know. I, I love everybody's feedback. I've gotten some really great feedback on what, like, topics they want to hear. That's great. Please keep it coming. There's a, so many things that we could talk about forever, I feel like. Um Gerard, what are you reading this week? What's your book choice? Oh, man. If you can see my desk right now, which you'll eventually be able to as we branch in the video, I got three of my old school textbooks. But um, relating to training-wise, since we're on the topic, I just recently uh, <laughs> downloaded uh, Josh Bryant's uh, prison workouts because, oh, you know, man. due to current quarantine, we're a little limited with our exercise equipment. So... Here's a real cool app you guys can download. I'm not sponsored or anything. I just use it 
One of the exercises is the deck of pain. And if you don't know what that is, it's where you have a deck of cards and you flip the card. And for whatever number that is, you do the reps. Face cards are 10 reps, so kings, queens, jacks. And an ace is 11 reps. So I've been doing the deck of pain for my upper body exercises, which are push-up variations, wide, close grip, um, dive push-ups or yoga push-ups. If you look up either of those, you can see. I also got one of those at-home pull-up bars, so I'll do the same with those as well. But always reading, always reading different topics. Uh, But those are specifically related to training. What about you, Austin? Uh, You know, I wasn't going to pick one based on training, but now I feel like I need to. Uh, I will, as a a, a side note. Oh, go ahead. I I, I mentioned the app. I totally totally blew back. So the deck of pain is when you use the cards. If you don't have access to a actual physical card deck and you don't want to risk it going to the store, the app is called Sweat Deck. It's free to download. That's Sweat Deck. And uh, it will you just enter in exercises, and as you tap the screen, it will flip the card for you. So sorry about that, Austin. Go no, ahead. No, what are you reading? That sounds pretty legit. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll have to do it. Uh, <laughs> no, so the book that I was going to recommend, I was going to recommend this book called The Four Agreements. If you haven't read it yet, please read it. It'll change your life. Um, but I also wanted to add a training, a training thing. Josh Bryant has a bench press manual that he released because we're talking about Josh Bryant's benching. And I love that, that, that bench press manual transformed my bench quite a little bit because it forced me to think about always exploding my triceps. Uh, uh, So, you know, if you're going to do some training reading stuff, go read Josh Bryant's bench stuff because that's how you build a big ass bench. (laughs) That's That's the only way there's, there's a lot of ways, but, but that definitely is a good start. That helped me a lot. Oh. All right. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, once again, it's been real. We ho- look forward to seeing you again next week. Hit us up with any questions, any comments, any suggestions for things to talk about. And uh, we hope you have a good one. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Iron Breed Podcast. 